This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. We begin a brand new chapter tonight in this study of eschatology, things to come. And uh, I like to uh, expound upon the word in, in this manner uh, as we go verse by verse. All right, so we want to get into chapter 3 tonight, and we're dealing with the seven churches in Asia Minor. These were real, literal churches, congregations made up of early believers, and tonight we're going to be looking at the church of Sardius. And uh, I want to, while you're getting yourself ready here, to encourage you I'm going to give you, if the Lord permits, a lot of scripture tonight, some of which uh, will lead us into a discussion where you will want to write some of these references down where you can go back and take your time and reread them again, and I pray that you will. Now, when we come to this particular chapter and we're talking about this particular church, one of the things that the church of Sardius, unfortunately, had a reputation of, is the, is the lack of zeal. They, they were a predominant dead congregation, so to speak. Uh, like the church of Ephesus, whom the scripture says lost its first love, the church at Sardius was a very, uh, it not only was dealing with a, a lot of, uh, cultish-like practices going around the work, but some of it had crept in, and even the people that made the congregation up had become rebellious as well. When I got to thinking about that in this introduction, I want to give you a couple of illustrations how the sins of a few can affect so many and then the sins of many can affect a few. And it was sort of like that relationship in this particular era with this church, these people, this congregation. And I was reminded of the story of Jonah. I'm not going to speak on that topic tonight, but when you read the encounter that Jonah had out there on the Mediterranean, the bad weather that he encountered, you have to remember what triggered all of that off. Because of his rebellion to God, he had positioned himself on a ship going to Tarshish, but the storm that was meant for Jonah affected everybody. This is the point that I want to talk about tonight. The storm, Jonah's rebellion triggered the storm, and the storm affected everybody, not just Jonah. It affected everybody. And I got to thinking about that. When Adam and Eve sinned, think about how it affected the entire world. It affected the entire human race. And I got to thinking how Lot 
when the scripture says that he had pitched his tent toward Sodom. He had not yet moved in, but when he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Think about this. Do you remember when Abraham was communing with God? And he said, Lord, if you find 50, if I find 50 people here, will you spare the city? And the Lord walked it down in the process, 50, 40, 30, 20. Abraham said, if, if we can find 10 righteous people, will you spare the cause? If you find 10, I'll spare it. And, and think about this. If Lot had had enough influence on his own family, just his family, God would have spared that city. So when it comes down to this study in the church of Sardis, we, we see where the sins of many are affecting a few and the sins of few are affecting many. And the, and the congregation was stagnant. It was dead. It was rebellious. And we know in various places of the scripture, God, nothing gets past him. He sees our motives he, he knows what the real deal is. He, he knows all, and he puts everything on scales. And uh, he, is the, he is the perfect, the true, the just judge. He is now, as we get to this, he's putting this church of Sardius on the scales and he's weighing out uh, the realness of them. And so on one hand, and we'll get to this, in the reading of the scriptures, but in one hand, the Lord, he's holding the seven spirits of God. And we've, we've talked about that. Uh, and in one hand, he is holding the seven stars. And so this church, the church of Sardis, was going to be weighed, judged, tried by the sevenfold spirit of God. God was going to put them to the test and uh, he was going to um, reveal the remnant. God has always worked with a remnant, a faithful few. And by the way, if God wants to put our church, our body, our assembly, our congregation on the scales, he can do the same thing with us as he did here in Sardius. Um, and I wonder, if God were to... And, and I know when we talk about the body of Christ, we're talking about believers. We, we, we get that. But let's, let's localize it to this, this local New Testament assembly right here, Beaufort Road. I wonder if God put our church on the scales. I wonder how it would measure up with him. I wonder how our personal lives individually would measure up if he were to do that. But the church at Sardius had forgot and let go of their heavenly calling and, and, the, and the important things that God had set them apart to do. So having said all of that and give you a little introduction to what we're going to be talking about, let's look now at verse number 1. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. 
I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, now look at this, and art dead. Now, again, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you know that every time you come across these red letters in the New Testament, it's the Lord Jesus who is speaking. And he is speaking here to John. John is listening very attentively, and he is writing. And think about this. Jesus, he is speaking, and he he reveals the truth to this congregation. He said, thou hast a name. All right? He is saying, you have a reputation. But notice what he is saying. But you're dead. You are a dead congregation. He said, I know thy works. Thou art dead. And then, in verse number two, he says this, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. So he is saying this, Whatever fruit that remains, the Lord Jesus said, strengthen this. And he said, work on that. We can, we can go back to the church of Ephesus when he said, get back, return to the first love. I believe that's basically what he is saying here. And in verse number three, the Lord calls for this church to be awakened and he has three things before them he wants them to think about, to meditate on. Remember, it's a dead congregation. And uh, I can imagine that a few has been affected by the world, and the world has affected uh, the church. And you think about what they could have been had they all been in. And that's what we've been talking about in this mission emphasis. We need to all be in. And so the Lord called for a threefold remembrance here. And the first call was to remember the past. Look at verse number three. He said, remember. And, and the Lord is, is pushing them to focus on the past. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. And so this was a call to remember the past. And uh, every congregation has a past. Every assembly has a past. I pray to God that we, we are not what we used to be. We're, we're not yet everything God wants us to be. But thank God, I think everybody can testify tonight that we're we're not what we were. Aren't you rejoicing in that tonight? That God has brought us all out of a horrible pit, put us all on a solid rock, established our goings, put a song in our mouth. And to God be the glory for that. We should never forget from whence we came. And the Lord Jesus is calling that to their attention. But the next thing the Lord calls out for them is to hold fast. Look at this. He says, hold fast and repent. So he's giving them 
opportunity to think back from whence they came. He is saying, now hold fast. He wants them to focus on the present. Do the things that are necessary to do today. But then the Lord, he attaches a stern warning to this. And he says this after repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And so the Lord, he puts an emphasis on the watching. So when you think about this and you pick, pick this uh, in slow motion, you can see where the Lord Jesus is admonishing them to think about the past, the present, and the future. And that's what he would have us all to do. And I do pray that we're watching as well. I want to give you the scriptures in Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 13. In connection with that, the Bible says, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And I will tell you that there are preachers out there a dime a dozen today who have predicted a, a date for the Lord to return. That should be an instant sign to you that they are false in their doctrine, their theology, uh, because the scriptures clearly teaches us that no man knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. We know that he's coming. He said over and over again, do these things and I will do this when I come. If I go, I will come again. We're, we're taught over and over in the word that Jesus is coming again. Uh, but no one knows the day. But he encourages us to watch and to be focused on the blessed hope. All right, now, verse number four, let's look at this. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardius, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, that the Lord always has a remnant. What is a remnant? It's a faithful few. There, there's always a handful that God uses in strategic ways in various places that he knows he can count on who are not going to compromise, who are going to walk with him. Always a few that will not bow to the false gods and practices of this world. And let me mention this. Not everybody that calls themselves a Christian has Christian morals and views and perspectives. You'd be surprised. But I think people who are professing to know Jesus Christ as their Savior are hooked up in all of the world and, and all of its philosophies and ideologies and think nothing of it. In fact, there's probably millions upon millions of people who call themselves Christians that don't even know the simple plan of salvation, do not know how to be saved, call themselves Christians. God always has a remnant, and the Lord has always acknowledged this. He saw a few faithful here in Sardius, and he began to encourage them. There were a few people, not everybody had gone south, so to speak. He had a few people that were faithful and true who were bearing the fruits of the Spirit, and this, when he says this in verse number four, he says, a few names. He said, there's a few of you. There's a few people left that still 
keeping on, keeping on. But he talks about overcomers in eternity who are going to wear white. Look at this. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardius, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white. That's an unusual statement. This is, this is one of those, and we'll see many verses like this all throughout the study. We'll come across something like this, and you can say, what does that mean? Wednesday nights, I, I love to teach the Bible. I love to explain the Bible, express the Bible. But I, you know, I, I don't spend all my days and all my nights just teaching the Word. I love it, and I love to do what I'm doing. But I don't do that 24-7. And when we come across a scripture like this, I love to jump into these things because it gives me an opportunity. You read that verse a 100 times, and the average person will do just that, read it a 100 times and go over their head, and they have no idea what it's talking about. But I find this to be very interesting. And they shall walk with me in white... For they are worthy. Now let's talk about this thing just for a moment. I'm going to give you a couple of verses. And uh, let's see what the word says. In Colossians 1, verse number 27. The Bible says this. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but as such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. All of this is talking about faithfulness, perseverance, and the assuredness that God has wrapped us up in his love, in his care. And uh, we're going to see in just a few moments that uh, we are able to live victoriously. And this is talking about this aspect in verse number four is talking about an eternal walk uh, with the Lord Jesus uh, because of the one living in us, the one who is greater. The word says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I want to remind you of something here. This is talking about overcoming. Um, and uh, they that overcome, they shall walk with me in white. And I want us to look at this even more. I want us to be reminded that there is a difference between redemption and rewards. This is certainly... Uh, a rewarded aspect of eternity. And uh, it's white has always been a, a sign of purity. And we're going to see that in this particular study as well, time permitting this evening. Let me say this about rewards and redemption, or redemption and rewards. They're two different things. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. There are some people, and and let's 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 make this a given. Not everybody who professes to know Christ as Savior is, is a possessor. 
But let's just say for the sake of the conversation, we're talking about people who are genuinely saved. There are some people who know the plan of salvation. They've received the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They're saved. And that is about as far as it goes with them. I've only met really one person in my entire life that has told me that they wanted to die and go to hell, and that's after 50 years of ministry. Most everybody you talk to, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Most everybody on the earth will say yes. But for a lot of people, that's as far as it goes. Let me remind you of something. The cross and the resurrection together provide God's redeeming grace. We, if there had been no resurrection, only a crucifixion, we could not be saved. There had to be both. There had to be, he had to shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. So he had to die. He had to shed his blood and God had to raise him from the dead. And when we place our faith in Christ, we're trusting him as our savior. It's the finished work of the cross. Some people have the idea that when you become a born again Christian, that that's all that matters. That's, but listen, let me assure you of something. That's not where the journey ends. That's where it begins. But a lot of people are just consoled with the idea that I know Jesus as my Savior and when I die, I'm going to heaven. Now, that's a wonderful thought and it's a wonderful promise. But I assure you that there is much more to it. Redemption is one thing. Rewards are another. We do not work to be saved, but we work because we're saved. And when we work for the Lord, he will ultimately reward us one day for our faithfulness. Now, somebody might ask the question, well, pastor, is it possible that a believer can lose their rewards? Most definitely. One of the scriptures I just gave you here in 1 Corinthians but I want to share this with you in Second John, verse number 8. Look at this word. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. It is possible for a believer to lose a root. Now, you cannot lose your salvation, and I'm going to be speaking on that in this study. But you can lose your reward. Now, I want to share something with you here in verse number five. And this, this is one of those places in, in the study where um, I simply don't know all the ifs, ands, and buts about it. In fact, I might not even present it correctly. I, I can only tell you what I know, what I believe. But it may be wrong. And I stand here tonight as I teach this very complex passage of Scripture, um, telling you that, because we find this reference again about the white raiment in verse number 5. There, there's an interesting thought and subject here, and so you just have to go with uh, 
what the Lord has impressed me upon in my study. In verse 5, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. That's a reference to verse 4 as well. But then notice this. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I want you to think about this because for many theologians and many Bible scholars, there's a difference between the book of life and the Lamb's book of life. And you let's look at this again. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name. All right? Overcoming. We know we've just read scriptures where the Lord will not put anything on us too heavy that we cannot bear. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, and so forth. We have strategic scriptures where we can claim victory over the temptations and short uh, falls in our life. We, we can do that. We can rise above it. We don't have to be shackled to sin forever. Thank God for his grace, his love, his mercy, his long-suffering, and uh, he has promised a way of escape. Overcoming. Now, the same will be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Now, I want to talk about that because there are two books of genealogies, and I want to mention them. And again, uh, you may have a commentary or you may have a favorite preacher, somebody that specializes in the revelation, uh, eschatology, those kind of things, and you might get something totally different out of what I'm going to say now, and to God be the glory. But there, I believe that there are two books of genealogies. The question is, is the book of life the same thing as the Lamb's book of life? I don't know in your study, but that proposes a question to me. And so given the fact that I believe that there are two books of genealogies, I think um, the book of the generation of Adam is important. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 5, just for a moment, I want you to look at this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. All right. The book of the generations of Adam is a book that discloses death. When you think about that. So there is a book of generations of Adam, but then there is the book of generations concerning Jesus Christ. And if you look in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says this, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the book of generation of Jesus Christ, I believe, is the book of life. And a person gets in this book by faith in Christ. 
Now the question is this, and we're running out of time, and there's certainly no way to give you a full perspective on this verse tonight. We'll pick back up here, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. The question is this, is it possible to have your name in the book of life and then have your name blotted out of it? Then the question comes, so are you saying, preacher, that it's possible that a person, we know we can lose our reward, but are you saying a person can lose their salvation? I'm not saying that. I don't believe that. I don't teach that. I believe in the eternal security of the believer. So what I'm going to do next Wednesday night, I'm going to give you in Scripture the verses that gives us the assurance of salvation. And then I'm going to give you scriptures on why it is in, why it's totally impossible to lose your salvation. And once we establish those two realms, we come back to this question. And I need to give you several scriptures for you to look at so you can be anchored down uh, in this particular subject. What, what's Jesus talking about here? This is a complicated verse. And by the way, let me say this. As we get into chapter 3 and we start navigating into chapter 4, 5, and from then on, most of what we have been talking about in chapter 1 up until this particular point has been relatively easy Bible prophecies and study. But we're going to be getting into some deep and complicated and perplexed things now. you got to come with your notepad, your pen, your pencil, your thinking cap on and allow the Holy Spirit to move and work in your heart and your life. Because this is a complicated book as a whole. But when we start breaking it down verse by verse, it really does take on a third dimension. and you have to Because everything in it is true. It's the Word of God. It's the breath of God. None of this is a fairy tale, make-believe. It is going to happen. And that's what we have to keep in mind. But we need to establish some very important doctrine early on, and we are getting into those aspects now. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.